Bible, uh, open up to John chapter 14. Thank you, musicians. Good songs, good playing. Amen. Getting spoiled. There used to be a time when it was uh, <laughs> one of us whacking a bunch of strings, and now you got a ukuleles and wind instruments and a piano. I mean, it's a blessing. Amen? Blessing. Don't take those things for granted. John chapter 14, and, and, and you know, more than one person helping now so that Mark had to make a spreadsheet. I mean, Mark had to make a spreadsheet. So you got to make a spreadsheet. You know, that's big time. So uh, John chapter 14, and Mark makes a good spreadsheet. He's out there. I know he's behind that wall back. Mark, you make a good spreadsheet, Mark. And, right, amen, amen. Many parts in the body of Christ, many different needs. Some got to make a good spreadsheet and do, do stuff like that. I'm thankful everybody can organize my scumbinad brain. All right. Um, anyway, here's our message for today. And uh, see how it goes because it was a bit of an audible the Lord pulled on me here. But John chapter 14, we'll be down there in verses 1 and 2. But uh, here's a question I want you to think about. What would your life and your walk be like if you really trusted God? I mean, how different would your life be if you truly believed God's promises? Now, some of you are sitting there going, oh, that can't, you, Pat, you must be preaching at yourself because I got a halo and I believe God all the time and I never doubt him for a minute. So I'll just preach this message to me. I'm sure the only, I'm the only one who ever questions, doubts, forgets, you know, wonders. But if that's you too, then what would life be like if you didn't? Amen. Or if you're able to pull yourself out of it? I was thinking about something Charles Spurgeon said in a little book he wrote called Faith's Checkbook. And he writes and he says, A promise from God may, verily, may very instructively be compared to a check. Payable to order. It is given to the believer with the view of bestowing upon him some good thing. It is not meant that he should read it over comfortably and then have done with it. No, he is to treat the promise as a reality, as a man treats a check. He is to take the promise and endorse it with his own name by personally receiving it as true. He is by faith to accept it as his own. He sets to his seal that God is true and true as to this particular word of promise. He goes further and believes that he has the blessing in having the sure promise of it, and therefore he puts his name to it to testify to the receipt of the blessing. This done, he must believingly present the promise to the Lord as a man presents a check at the counter of the bank. I know you all do mobile stuff now. You take a picture of the check. I get it. So just, just go with the metaphor, okay? He must plead it by prayer, expecting to have it fulfilled. If he has come to heaven's bank at the right date, he will receive the promised amount at once. If the date should happen to be further on, he must patiently wait till its arrival. But meanwhile, he may count the promise as money. For the bank is sure to pay when the due time arrives. Now in John chapter 14, in the upper room, Jesus Christ is giving his disciples some promises for their troubled hearts. And in verse 1 he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. 
There he is. It's about to get very scary for those disciples. Jesus is about to leave. They're about to feel like they're on their own. Their world, the opposition, the world's about to hate them and persecute them and put them through horrible ordeals. And Jesus Christ knows that. And he says, hey, 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 it's about to get scary. So trust me. Put your confidence in me, not just God, 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 God out there, but in me, the God man who came down in the flesh and is right here, the one that walked with you and slept with you and fed you and kind of, you know, washed your feet, kind of believe in me, have confidence in me. That's the first thing he says to him. And then he says, in my father's house are many mansions. They're about to become outcasts. They're about to be put out of the synagogues. They're about to be ostracized by the people they once loved and knew. You know what he tells them about then? So he tells them about their heavenly home. Amen. And then in verse number two, the latter part of the verse, is a phrase in the Bible that might be one of my favorite clauses in the Bible. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus Christ reminds his troubled men, guys, listen, you can trust what I'm telling you. It's like Jesus Christ is writing checks with each promise and reminding all of us, you could take that to the bank. You could take that to the bank. So, are you a disciple today? Don't say amen to this. Troubled about anything? Hard heavy? Wondering about the future? Doubting whether God's going to come true. Doubting whether he's actually going to show up. Doubting whether that trumpet's really going to blow and he's really going to get us out of here. We all got all those doubts run through our minds. But can I tell you this? We're going to consider some promises of God today. And here's the title of the message. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. Right? Because the promises of God, when you find them, you could take it to the bank when you find one. So let's pray, and then we'll see how God might encourage us today. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We praise you today, Lord, just for your promises, for your sure word. Pray, Lord, you'd allow me to say something that would encourage your people, that they might wake their dungeons flamed with light and go forward for you, Lord. Help us to trust you, Lord. You say without faith it is impossible to please you. But we need that help, Lord. We need you to increase our faith today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 23, please. Joshua 23. We're going to be all over the Bible today. We're going to just use this portion of John as a jumping off point, and we'll jump around a few other spots. Joshua 23. This is going to be like a duh message, like I'm not going to say anything probably new or mind-blowing or like nothing about the angel's armpit hair or anything like that. But Joshua 23, here's our first point, all right? The first point is this. The Lord always keeps his promises. See, I could tell two-thirds of you don't believe that. So I'm going to say it again for me and for you. The Lord always keeps his promises. All right, one more time with feeling. The Lord always keeps his promises. I'll show you some examples from your word, God's word, Joshua 23. In Joshua 23, they've entered the promised land. They're fighting some battles. There's enemies all around them, but they've seen the promise come true. They've entered the promised land, and Joshua's an old man now, and he's getting ready to say goodbye. And in Joshua 23, 14, old man Joshua's given his farewell, and he says in Joshua 23, 14, and behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm dying. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed 
of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. They're entering the promised land. You know what Joshua is reminding them of? God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. He's saying the Lord always kept his promises. Why? So they remembered that the Lord always keeps his promises. Why? So we could look back several thousand years later and remember for ourselves that the Lord always keeps his promises. Always, without exception. Now, this crowd that he's talking to, they had endured the wilderness for 40 years. That's a long time. That's not six months or a year. That's a long time. I've been rehabbing a knee for like eight weeks. It's driving me crazy, but thankfully it's getting better. You know, you start turning those corners. But you know, you just like, it's never fast enough for you, right? It's never fast enough. You always want to get out of that valley. You're just like, my Lord, get me out of this valley. And just God's like, I'm right on schedule. And God's schedule always seems to be too slow. And they did 40 years in the wilderness. Man, can you think about what they went through? Do you think, let's just be human. Do you think any of those Israelites doubted God as they went out to gather manna every morning, as they did that grind, what are we going to make today? Manna pancakes, fantastic. Manna gumbo, manna, I feel like, you know, Bubba from Forrest Gump, you know. <laughs> manna shoe fly pie, and manna this, and manna that. They're like, you know, oh, I'm sure 40 years of gathering manna, they must have been like, is this ever, are we ever going to get out of this place? Are we ever going to see the other side? Am I ever going to see this milk and honey, this, 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 this land that God's been talking to me about? Let me hit you where you live. Do you doubt God? Do you ever doubt God while you're dealing with the daily grind of your own wilderness? Get up tomorrow morning, go to work. Get up Tuesday, go to work. Get up, you know, hopefully no more school, but you know, mom's putting kids on the bus, mom's homeschooling, doing this, washing dishes, doing that, dealing with lost family members, dealing with wicked neighbors, dealing with the wicked... Hey, hey, I'll say amen for you. Does it ever go through your mind as you're going through that grind like, Lord, how long? Hey, Lord, where are you? Lord, what's up? <laughs> what's the deal, O God? Where, where, where's this thing? Is, when are you going to blow this trouble? When are you going to get me out of this? When are you going to deliver me from this? They thought it. You know why they thought it? Because we think it. Amen. You know what else would happen? They encountered enemies when they entered the land. But God could still be trusted. It wasn't all hunky-dory when they got into the promised land. It says in Joshua 11 that Joshua cut off the Anakims. The Anakims were some mean dudes. They ate the people like bread, the Bible says. They were like giants. They were giants in the land that the children of Israel had to put out, put down, and contend with. You know what that reminds me of? That just because God makes you a promise doesn't mean you don't have to fight for it. Sometimes the fight is built into the promise. Sometimes you've got to reach. Sometimes you've got to press. Sometimes you've got to plead. Sometimes you've got to endure. Right? Everybody wants that great body. Everybody wants that slim six-pack. You know what you got to do? you got to work for it. It'll work if you work for it. But people don't want to work for it. God's people had to put some work in for it. They had to put some enemies down. Can I ask you something? See if you're alive today. Do you want God's promised land for your life? Oh, yes, subdued. You were loud before. I put you quiet already? Chris, get back on the piano. <laughs> right? You know what the promised land is for your life? It's a place of victory. It's not heaven for us. Because when we get to heaven, there's no enemies to put down. All right, so the promised land for the Christian is not heaven. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of victory. It's a place of realizing all God has for you. You want that? Amen, 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 amen. amen. Well, you may have a wilderness to endure. 
And you may have some foes to face. But you know what? Look at verse 6. Just listen to the counsel of Joshua and take it to the bank. Just take it to the bank. Verse 6, he says, Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Verse 11, Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. You know what Joshua said? Guys, we got all this before us. Have courage and keep loving God. That's it, folks. The promise is going to come true. The God that didn't fail them in the past wasn't going to fail them in the present, and he's not going to fail you in the future. You know what you need to do? Have some courage, lay hold of the promise, and just keep loving God. You're going to get you through. He's going to get you through because God can't lie, and God says, I never failed you in the past. I'm never going to fail you in the future. Just have some courage. You know what courage is? Courage is being willing to trust God, even when the circumstances don't look like you can trust God. That's why the book of Joshua starts with God telling Joshua, have courage, be courageous, be of good courage, be of good courage. What did the psalmist say? I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. We're not putting courage in in cunningly devised fables. We're not putting courage in the, in the flying spaghetti monster. We're not putting courage in some religious idol. We're putting courage in God Almighty. We're putting God courage in the promises of God, the ones that have come true time and time again. Hey, Jesus Christ came the first time. He's coming the second time. And the God that fulfilled all those prophecies to have Jesus Christ come the first time is the God that will fulfill the promises that He gave you in your life. Don't be so, you know, what is that? Something about the mouth, dumb in the mouth, dumb in the turn, turn that frown upside down or something like that. I don't know, whatever the saying is. I'm preaching to me like I'm preaching to you. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He always keeps his promises. Let me give you another one. First Kings chapter 8. You say, why Joshua have to say that? For the same reason I got to say it. Because we forget. We are dull of hearing. Right? That we are spiritually stunad. First Kings 8. That's one honest man in the audience, right? First Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, look at verse 54. The Lord always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. 1 Kings 8, look at verse number 54. Here's the dedication of the temple. Another big moment in Israel's history. Solomon's done this big offering and stuff, and it says in 1 Kings 8, 54, And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord! That's why I'm getting loud, because the Bible says i got to get loud. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. So there it is again. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon reminds Israel of what? Same thing as Joshua. God's faithfulness. Man, it's like, it's like we need to remember this. I think we need to remember that God is faithful. I think we need to be reminded that God keeps his promises. I'm seeing Joshua do it when they entered Canaan. I'm seeing Solomon do it when the temple's erected and established. We need to remember that God keeps his promises. 
That folks, man, that crowd, that nation is now at the pinnacle of their history. But those people, those ancestors, and maybe some of those old folks in the crowd, they had lived through all that fighting for 400 years. You understand that? Under judges, under Saul, under David. They had seen all this stuff, all this stuff. They had, but God took care of them. God put down their enemies. <laughs> Just like he said he would, even though they had to go through the times of the judges, even though they had to go through an awful man like Saul, even though they had to see all the fighting under David. Do you think, and again, just, just pontificate with me, would you? Smile. There you go. Just pontif just, just imagine a little bit with me. Do you think any of them, throughout that 400-year history, question the promises of God? Do you think any of them living in the times of the judges as the Midianites would oppress them, and the Ammonites would oppress them, and the Philistines would oppress them, and these invading countries would just subjugate them and make them their little lackeys. Do you think any of them wondered, where is this God of Israel? Absolutely. Right? You think uh, under Saul, that awful king who just took everything from them, you think under Saul anybody was like, is this, the, this is the one that God provided for us? This is the leader? This is it? This is it, God? Is it get better than this, God? You think they have a question under David when there was fighting and bloodshed and wars? Hey, you ever get so tired of fighting you forget that God promised you rest? That's the promise. Rest, verse 54. Rest, verse 55. 56. He's talking about rest, a promised rest. You know God's got a rest for you. And I know sometimes it doesn't look like it's coming, but... God always keeps His promises. Amen. There is a promised rest. Even if you've got to wait till Jesus comes back. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 or 8, And to you that are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Think about what Israel had been through. Been oppressed in Judges, abused under Saul, shed blood with David. Like Israel oppressed by enemies, you may feel like you've lost some time. You know, Israel lost time under the judges. When we studied judges many months ago, if any of you watched that message, if you take the years that they were under the oppression of the enemies, God didn't count that time. He says, you wasted time by letting your sin put you in subjugation to these enemies. You might feel like that. Maybe just some enemy has had a foothold on you. You may feel like, God, I've lost all this time. Where could this promise rest be? You may feel like you've had wicked leaders. Good preaching, Brother Pat, right? <laughs> you too may feel helpless, like they must have felt helpless under Saul. This is who we wanted. This is who we elected. This is who we voted for. Right? This is who it is, right? And this is the person that's coming in, and, and we're under this person's thumb. He's taken our tent. He's taken our children. He's taken our stuff. He's taken our this. He's taken our everything. That's what Saul did. He took their everything. He's hiding in the valley, and he's pushing them out to go fight Goliath. That's Saul, just a taker and a taker and a taker. And guess what? You live pretty close to that watershed. You live pretty close to that house where you've got people that are above you that just want to take and take and take. The taxes never go down. They always go up. The prices never get sliced. They always get raised. Insurance never gets reduced. The premiums just always rise you know, to make it convenient for you, to give you the best and most reliable service, right? which always seems to be worse and worse and worse. 
The government doesn't get better, it just gets worse. The people don't seem to become more righteous, they just seem more corrupt. Hey, I'm not being political, I'm just using my eyeballs, right? I'm not telling you about donkeys or elephants, who to vote if 2024 ever comes along. I'm not telling you any of that. I'm just telling you, you got some people that are over you that are as wicked as the devil's hind leg. And they don't care. They just do it with impunity. Both sides of the aisle, red, blue, white, purple, and polka dots. And you might sit there like, and that's just happening in this country. It's happening all over the world. And you might be sitting there going, Lord, what is going on? I'm sure they thought that under Saul. They must have been like, Lord, my own, come on. We're your children. We're the people of Israel. We're the, where's the kingdom? This guy's wetting his pants in the valley over here, and there's a giant. Like, what is going on? And David's hands were full of blood. I mean, it wasn't all hunky-dory under David. It was, they were going out to fight this one and fight that one. I mean, even when you're doing right, even when you've got the right leader, even if you're following the captain of your salvation, hey, sometimes you get weary in well-doing. Or else the Bible wouldn't say, let us not be weary in well-doing. <laughs> if you never got weary in well-doing, the Bible wouldn't say, let us not be weary in well-doing. But the Bible says, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I'm trying to encourage you today. I'm not rebuking you today. I'm trying to encourage you today to just get over that hump. We're fourth and inches. Just got to put your head down and go. Lord's faithful. Lord keeps his promises. Lord's right on schedule. Even though all those things happened, even though they went through judges and Saul and even David, none of those things stopped God's rest from coming right on time. It came right on time, and Solomon said, according to all that he promised, not one thing failed of the promises. I don't care if the whole world makes the Bible illegal. I don't care if they throw us all in prison and send us to the rack. Guess what? That rapture is going to come, and we're going to get out of here. It's not going to stop God's promise. And it doesn't matter if the G20 and the G7 and the G this and the GV and the OG and everybody else, if they all circle Israel and point their nuclear warheads at that little nation about the size of New Jersey, guess what? If when the whole world thinks they got them and they shake their fist at God and the kings of the earth and they take, you know, they, they take that counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, you know what's going to happen? God's going to have them a big belly laugh and he's going to deliver his people right on schedule. Because the Lord always keeps his promises. He always has and he always will. Not just for them, but for you. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Kings 8.61. If that rest seems far away or if it seems like it's gotten to be too abstract for you, just listen to Solomon's admonition. And you know what? Just take it to the bank. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as it has this day. Can I give you some advice? When you feel like giving up, double down and go closer to God. When you feel like not going to church, pick your lazy butt up and go. When you feel like not reading your Bible, crack it open and read it. Memorize something. When you don't want to give that person a track, do it. When you don't want to praise God, praise the Lord. And you know what? Just stick your thumb in the devil's eye and just keep going closer. Like Solomon said, and if that rest seems far away, if that rest seems like it's out of reach, you know what? Just hasten it on by just getting closer to Jesus Christ. Be perfect. Be perfect. Be courageous. That's the thing these guys said. Joshua said, be courageous. Love God. And Solomon says, be perfect, meaning just get all the way in. Just jump in with both feet. And if you got a bad knee, just jump in with both legs. Right? 
And just get as close to God as you can. Nehemiah chapter 9. Keep walking through Israel's history here. Nehemiah chapter 9. Again, this is not what I prepared to preach today. I should just scrap everything I do in the beginning of the week and then at the end of the week just wait on God to give me what he wants me to say, I guess. Maybe I'll get to the other thought eventually. Nehemiah 9.23. Now in Nehemiah 9, we're not dealing with people entering the promised land. We're not dealing with folks that have uh, got the kingdom established. We're dealing with the people of God who have lost everything. They've lost everything. And they're trying to rebuild after the exile in Babylon. Right? It says right there in Nehemiah 9.23, and Nehemiah is preaching, and he's talking about God and the history of Israel, and he says, he's talking to God, he says, Their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven, and broughtest them into the land, concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. When they lost everything, Nehemiah reminded the remnant of God's faithfulness. Israel had been taken to captivity for years. And Nehemiah is there among the rubble, trying to rebuild after the exile. And in Nehemiah 9, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but in Nehemiah 9, he is rehearsing the history of Israel and recounting God's faithfulness. And in verse 23, he reaches back to a seemingly impossible promise that God fulfilled. He says, Their children also multiply as thou as the stars of heaven. You recognize that one? You recognize that promise that he made to Abraham that they would have children like the stars of heaven? Let's go back to Genesis 15. Let's look at that promise. We'll talk about why he reaches back to that one. Genesis 15. Look at verse 1. Genesis 15, verse 1. He is the Lord in Abram. And he says to Abram, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and to lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Nehemiah is reaching back to that impossible promise. It had looked hopeless for for Abram. Sarah's not getting any younger. Sarah doesn't look like she could push a stroller if she wanted to. She walked into like, you know... If you walk into those baby stores, they'd be like, who are you getting this for, your grand, your daughter? No, I'm getting this for me. No, not you. You got, you got, you, you. the dentine is sold, and you know, the denture stuff is in CVS across the way. What are you doing in the baby store? No, 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 I'm, I'm here, no, I'm here for me. It was impossible. It was a dead womb. It was a lifeless womb. There was no way life should have come from that womb, but God made it possible. And when it looks hopeless, you got to remember, you got a God that can bring life from the dead. You got to bring a God that can bring life from a dead womb like he brought life from a dead tomb. 
That rhymed, you'll remember it. Listen, what was Abram's reaction? Verse 6, and he, meaning Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Like Abram, the Lord is looking for your faith. And Abram was audacious enough. The Bible says he didn't believe God, or he didn't believe in God. Right? It wasn't like he was like, I believe that God exists. You know, that's great. I'm glad you believe God exists. But all it takes to do that is eyes that can see and a mind that works. Right? Like looking at this building. I say, you know, do you believe somebody built this building? Yes, duh. You know? But unfortunately, we live in a culture now that has been so inundated with duh that we think it's a stretch of faith and we somehow get a reward that we actually can believe the obvious that God you know, is the creator and the designer of all things. Like that's, that doesn't get you into heaven. That just gets you out of like this other bucket that God has called fool. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's only a fool that could look at himself in the mirror and say, you know, look at me, I'm a cosmic burp accident. You know, that, that's very foolish, right? That defies logic, science, and mathematical probability. But I'm not going to preach on that right now. But Abraham, the Bible says, believed in the Lord. He had confidence in God. He had trust in his character. He knew, hey, I can believe this God. I can put confidence in God. It sounds kind of like the uh, Lord Jesus in the upper room. You believe in God, believe also in me. It isn't like, believe I exist, because he's staring at them and they're looking at him. It's, can you put some confidence in me? Can you put enough confidence in my character that even though everything looks dim, I can shine my light? Even though everything looks dead, I could bring forth life. Can, can, you, can you trust me a little bit? I created the whole kitchen caboodle. I think I could do this. I'm God. Right? You just sit tight, son. You just believe in me. And look what happened. It counted him for righteousness. God counted Abram righteous for just believing a promise that seemed impossible. Do you believe God? Amen. Or should I say, do you believe in the Lord? Amen. Think he could do it? Do you know the Apostle Paul reached back when he was talking about your salvation and he reached back to that verse and he quoted that verse? I think it's in Romans 4, says, right? What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh is found? For Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Right? Now, right? So the same way Abram believed an impossible promise and got counted righteous, when you get saved, you believe an impossible promise. You believe that God came down to earth, died on a cross, and raised himself from the dead, and God did something that was impossible, humanly speaking, and God says, if you put that confidence in me, I'll count you righteous. You see, because without faith, it is impossible to please him. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Right? The Bible says, to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It doesn't mean you're righteous. It doesn't mean you walked into that presence of God smelling any better than you did before you met him. You're just as wicked and dirty and filthy as you were before you saw that Bible verse put in front of you. But you, God counts you righteous. God takes his righteousness and he slides it over to your account because you're crazy enough, pardon the pun, you're audacious enough, you have enough confidence in God to say, Lord, I believe you did that for me. And then God counts you righteous like he counted Abram righteous. Do you believe God? Go to Genesis 22. He does it again. 
over there in Genesis 22. Verse number 15. Genesis 22, 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. You, you got that? He's promised him the impossible. He gives him a son named Isaac, whose name means laughter, because Abraham laughed, right? And Sarah laughed. And now he's got this child, and this child is not a, he's not a stripling, right? He's not a baby. He's grown. He's probably about, I, probably, I bet he's probably about 33, if I had to get, you know, guess an age for Isaac here. And he's up there, and he's, and he's saying to him, I want you to kill him. And we think, yeah, yeah, Abraham killed him. He took, you just take that into your mind. This child that you waited for for years that was an impossible miracle baby. Now put him on the altar and sacrifice him to me. Take now thy son, thine only son, and has not withheld thy son, thine only son. 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee, thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. This is also impossible. I mean, Lord, you, you, you gave me the child. You, you came good in this. And now you want me to give it back to you? I mean, Lord, what, this is too much. This is too much, God. I mean, you gave me the miracle. I rejoiced in your goodness. And now you want me to lay it on the altar? Yes, I want you to lay it on the altar. You fathom that? I can't fathom that. I am not so proud or stupid to say I would have been like Abraham. Amen. I would have been like, I'm not quite hearing you, God. I'm not just, I don't know, Lord, I must, I would have pulled the earplugs out. You know, I would, have pulled, I would have disconnected or something like that. I just can't hear you, God. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to go down the mountain now. Praise you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God sometimes asks you to lay the precious things down on the altar. Even the good things down. Like a ministry. Like spouse, like your children. You understand that? It's easy to lay the bad stuff on the altar. It's easy to lay your filthy mouth on the altar. It's easy to lay your angry heart on the altar. It's easy to lay, you know, your lust on the altar because you know that's where they belong. They should be burned up and sacrificed. But it's hard when you want to get married and you got to lay that desire on the altar and be willing to give that up for God. It's hard when you want to serve God in a certain ministry and it's not happening in the pace and the timing that you think God should happen because look how qualified I am, God. You know, you got to even take that good desire and lay it on the altar. Or man, I just want children. I want this. I want that. I want it. And God says, that's all good. I'm a... But you got to be able to lay that on the altar and be willing to let it go to find it. And not letting it go with one eye open like this, right? Here, God, I'm giving it up to you now, God, waiting for him to give it back. But actually just letting it go, content that if it stays there and is just given to God, you'll be okay. And if he never gives it back to you the way you think you want to get it back, that if it was given to God, it is okay. Abraham had tremendous faith to do that. He tried Abraham's faith, and Abraham obeyed. I don't know, will you? If God tugged on that thing and said, would you, would you give me that? 
You ever seen like you ever seen like the little cartoon? I've seen it like portrayed where Jesus is asking this kid for the little teddy bear and he doesn't want to give it up, and behind his back he's got the giant teddy bear. You know, it's like a cartoon, you know. And God's like, can you just give me that little thing? Can you just, are you willing to give me that little desire, that little thing? Would you let that part go? Because he's got something behind his back that's so much better than anything you're holding on to. Abraham did. I don't know if I would. In verse 10, it says Abraham actually lifted that knife. I mean, are you getting this? Are you actually getting this? He lifted the knife. He was going to go through with it. You know why he did? Because the Bible tells us that he believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He said, I, God's going to give me a seed. God promised me a seed. God, this is my seed. This is my heir. So if God tells me to kill him, he's going to have to raise him again because God always, God always makes good on his promises. So he's got to raise him from the dead. He's going to have to raise him from the dead because God is always faithful. God had promised him a seed. And you know what Father Abraham was doing? He was taking it to the bank. And God may try your faith, but will you obey like Abraham in spite of how it looks, in spite of all circumstances possibly being to the contrary? Nehemiah reaches back to God's faithfulness. You know why? Because that's how you rebuild. You rebuild when you remember the faithfulness of God. And even though you fail, he's never failed. And even though your word isn't worth two cents, his word is gold. And even though you might have rubble all around you from your mistakes, God is a sure foundation that you can rebuild on. And the God that brought life from the dead is the God that can bring life from your dead circumstances. That's why Nehemiah reaches back to him. So if sin, sin had stolen everything from Israel, so they rebuilt with God who brings life from the dead. So if you're surrounded by the rubble, left by your sin, Find a promise from the God of the impossible and take it to the bank so you could start rebuilding your walls again. And secondly, and finally, and briefly, go to Romans 8. The first part was the hard part. The Lord always keeps his promises. That was point number one. Do we believe that a little bit more now? Thanks for patronizing me. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I believe you. But here's the second part, and it's a short part, because if we can get the first part, the second part's easy. Oh, I wrestle with this one. The Lord always keeps his promises to you. Not so easy to believe. The Lord always keeps his promises. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Bless God. Yes. Amen. Got my King James Bible. I'm premillennial dispensationalist. Glory to God. Amen. Let's go. But do you know God keeps his promises to you? And if I could point my individual finger at the, how many of you are there today, I would. Because that's how I mean this. The Lord always keeps his promises to you. You see, it's easy to say amen to the idea that the Lord always keeps his promises. We like that idea. But it's a challenge to believe the, the Lord always keeps his promises to you, to me. We acknowledge the theological position that God is faithful. We like that. When it concerns someone else, like Joshua, or Solomon, or Nehemiah, or Hudson Taylor, or, you know, Mel Sabaka, or some other person other than you. 
But we struggle with personal trust when it's our turn in the upper room. And the Lord's telling you, you're going through some deep waters. But you believe in God, believe also in me. And if Jesus Christ was telling his disciples the truth then, do you think he'd lie to his disciples now? Right? Numbers 23 says God is not a man that he should lie. Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. And in John 14.2, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Here's my simple translation. Guys, I'm not playing games with you. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm trying to lay it plate high with the cookies so you can all grab this because I know you're going through something. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If the Lord has given you a check from his word, will you sign your name to that promise? Let's look at some famous ones, shall we? Let's see how much we believe God. Let's just, re- and you're going to know all these, I'm going to go to four verses and then I'll stop. But you're going to know all four of these verses because you've read them on your little Bible calendars. You've seen them in your little devotion books. You've written them in cards to other people and thought of them when it comes to other people. But I'm challenging you today. Do you realize this is a promise to you individually? Romans 8, 28. It's right there. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to this, His purpose. We know it. We know God's promise for others. Well, Romans 8, 28, everybody else... But do you, do you believe Romans 8.28 for you? Amen. When you're going through something that's not good? It doesn't say everything is good. It says all things work together for good. Amen. If you are hungry, and I open your mouth and throw a raw egg down your throat, a cup of flour, some, you know, Crisco, and some, you know, biscuit mix or something like that, all those things individually wouldn't taste very good. But they can work together for something good. Guys, I know we go through things, they don't always taste good. Health things, family things, emotional things, circumstantial things, all kinds of trials. They're not good. I get it. They're not good. A man getting shot up in Haiti when he's trying to hand out Bibles. I don't know. That doesn't look very good to me. But God promised it could work together for good if we keep loving God. See, that's what Joshua said. Love the Lord. Keep lo- See, that, that's the, you got to keep loving him. Because the devil's trying to get you to stop loving him. How about 1 Corinthians 10? You don't have to amen a lot of these because it'll, it'll out you. It, out, it outs me. So you don't have, you know, you can amen if you want, but I'm not expecting a lot of rah-rah here because it, it hits close to home. It kind of... 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Again, another verse. We've seen it plenty of times. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Wow, he sticks that right in the middle of that verse. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We tell others, God won't overwhelm you, brother. God will never give you more than you can handle. 
What does he say in Job? The Lord will not lay upon man more than is right, that he may enter into judgment with God. But do you believe he'll deliver you? When you're going through it? When the waves are crashing over your boat? When the sky seems dark to you? When it seems like it's more than you can handle? Do you still 1 Corinthians 10, 13 yourself? Do you kick back and say, God, this is too much? God, this is too much? God, what's going on here? Do you believe there's a way of escape? Do you believe deliverance is coming? God promised deliverance would come. He said, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. He'll never tempt you above that you're able. He's always going to have an exit door for you. He's always going to make an escape hatch for you. But we don't believe God like we say we do. See, the Lord always keeps His promises like that one to you, to me. And I'm guilty as ever. I'm guilty. I've kicked my head back and said, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, not now. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, this is too much. I think I've sinned against God when I've said it. Because God told me, it isn't too much, son. You can lift it. You're like sitting there on the bench and it's like, <laughs> I need a spotter. God's like, nope. My grace is sufficient. You can, get, you can lift this burden. You can bear it. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Look at verse 9. Paul's got this thorn in the flesh. We could speculate until the cows come home. I don't know if you could talk about cows anymore because they're a threat to the environment, I heard. I hear they're killing them now. Apparently, bugs make better burgers. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Hi at home, community strike, right? And, he, and, and so Paul's got this thorn in the flesh, and he's struggling with it, whether it was his eyesight or something else, whatever it was. And he's praying about getting rid of it, and, he said, and God says unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we love that verse, and we preach about the grace of God that he showed Paul. But do you trust that grace to help you? I don't know if I always have. I want to feel strong. I want to feel able. I want to feel like I'm on the mountaintop, and then, God, I'll serve you. And God says, no, I need you broken. I need you in the valley. I need you coming to the end of yourself. I need you weak in your own strength so that my grace can manifest itself. So my strength can be made perfect in the weakness. Oh, we don't like that. I don't like it either. But that's just the way it is. That's Brother Maurice would say, right? That's just the way it is. That's, how, that's what Brother Maurice would say. You think his grace will help you? I'm just throwing out the question. We know it helped Paul, and we'll say it to somebody else. We'll write it in the card at a bereavement situation. But when you're weak, when you're tried, when you feel like, Lord, can you just please? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Thee is the singular pronoun, which means you. Not you corporately, you individually. You believe God always keeps that promise to you. Philippians chapter 4.
Philippians 4.19, another famous verse. Speaking to a, a poor, impoverished church in Macedonia who didn't have much of anything but love and graciousness and a giving heart, even though they didn't have much to give. And he says to this, this church that seems to have nothing in Philippians 4.19, he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, that church wasn't looking for a swimming pool or an extension on the building or, you know, a nice new car. They were just trying to be a blessing to other Christians. Out of their deep poverty, Paul writes, you just, your grace, the grace of God abounded through you. They just, they reached down into those empty pockets because they just had a heart to give, a heart to give, a heart to give. And if that's you and you feel like you got nothing, the Bible says, God will supply your need. God will put something in those pockets if you're willing to give it away. Give it to somebody else. If you're going to gobble it up, I can't promise you that God's going to give it to you. But if you're willing to give it back to God, he might just fill your pockets with something that you could give to bless somebody else. He says, but my God, see how personally makes it? But my God shall supply all your need. Will your God? Does your God? Paul was confident. Paul said, but my God will. Does your God supply all your need? Isn't the Lord still the same God? Is he different from Paul? Did he change? Did he run out of money? Did he run out of power? Did he run out of resources? Can he still part the Red Sea? Can he still bring manna from heaven? Can he still furnish a table in the wilderness? Can he still, you know, let water come out of the rock? Or did God change? We think God changed. No, the God that was always faithful to them is always going to be faithful to you. Can I ask a few questions before we close? Has the Lord ever been unfaithful to you? Has he ever failed his people in the past? If the Lord was willing to go to Calvary for you, why wouldn't he tell you the truth? I mean, if it were not so, I would have told you. Who's the you? His beloved, his disciples, his people, the ones he died for, the ones he bled for, the ones he ministered to, the ones he loved with everlasting love, the ones he wants to be with forever, the ones that he's coming to bring back that where I am, there you may be also. That's the crowd he's talking to now, like the crowd he was talking to then. Why wouldn't he tell them the truth? Why wouldn't he promise them the very best? Why wouldn't those disciples lean on him for the very best? If you trusted Jesus Christ's promise to save your soul, why won't you trust His promises to save your life? Go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll end there in Hebrews 10. Again, I'm probably preaching this message just at me. But the question is very sobering. What would your life be like if you really trusted God. Wow. Because more than the disciples in the upper room, you have more than they have. They had nothing like you have. You think, well, if I saw Jesus, no, you wouldn't trust him anymore. You don't have just one promise. You've got a whole book of promises. 
you've got almost, you've got over 1,100 chapters of promises. 1,189 chapters of promise after promise. I don't know how many, 30,000, I forget the number, 30,000 plus words of promises. And each promise is a check that you could take to the bank to help you through the rough times and make you smile in the good times and get you through all times. But you got to take it to the bank, folks. You got to stop reading the Bible academically. You got to stop reading it as just a book of facts and information of long ago and far away and start to realize that these are promises that you have to appropriate to yourself. Every promise in the book is mine. We sing with the kids. Every jot, every tittle, every line. We sing it to the little ones. We need to sing it to the big ones. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Listen, if you're sitting here today and you're not sure if you're saved, God made your promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. you got to take that promise and take it to the bank. Lord, this is what you said. I'm claiming it. I'm cashing it in right now. You said if I called upon you and trusted your shed blood, my feelings might not change. I might not get some kind of goose flesh, but in the annals of heaven, you're going to pass me from death to life, from sinner to saint. You're going to make me a new creature. You're going to forgive my sin. You're going to put me in the body of Christ. You're going to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. That's what you said in your word. Lord, the best way I know how, I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, as my personal Savior. And you take it to the bank. And if you are a child of God and you're sitting here and you're a saint and God gives you a promise, Romans 8, 28, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Philippians 4, 19, 2 Corinthians 12, and the bajillion other verses that might jump across your reading. Don't just read it and see it in your morning and evening book and get a little spiritual buzz. Hold on to it. Get to the prayer room and say, Lord, you said you supply all my need, Lord, and I need something here, God. Lord, you said all things work together for good, and I don't see how this works together for good. I want you to show me, Lord. Start working it together for good, God. You promised this to me, Lord. I'm claiming it, Lord. I'm not talking about getting a new Mercedes. I'm talking about getting in on God. Lord, I'm surrounded. I want to quit. I feel like I just want to jump back into the pig pen. I feel sin is at the doors. I just don't see how to escape it. Friends are harassing me. The workplace is jamming me into this corner. I don't know how to get out. You said there's nothing that would overwhelm me, God. Help, help, help. You promised it, Lord. You got to wrestle with them. Like Jacob wrestled with the angel. And plead. Don't give up on God because the Lord never writes checks he can't cash. I might. Oop, went into the overdraft again. I have a good wife. We never go into the overdraft. But you know, Before I got married, I did a few times. But you know what? God doesn't go into the overdraft. Oh, what did I promise them? Oh, my goodness, Gabriel, can we cover that? Michael, can we cover that? Call Santander. We got to get that overdraft put in there because I don't know if I can cover that, you know, supply all your need. What was I thinking? All your need. My grace is sufficient for thee. I, oh, I didn't know what they were going through down there. I didn't know I, that, that reach is pretty far. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What am I thinking? But God never writes checks he can't cash. Or as D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. So grab on to one and claim it and take it to the throne room and say, Lord, this is your promise. 
good when you pray those promises back to God. It's a good habit. Once you get through everybody being sick, and everybody's got a test coming up, and everybody's, you know, you know, the cat ran away, and you go through all the list of things, find that promise and say, Lord, here's what you promised me, Lord. Put it on the teller's counter. Here's what you promised me, Lord. Help me with this, Lord. Help me to believe you. Help me to wait on you. You know, why do so many of God's people struggle and stumble in their walk with God? I'll finish with Spurgeon. I started with Spurgeon. Let me finish with Spurgeon says. He said, some fail to place the endorsement of faith upon the check. And so they get nothing. And others are slack in presenting it. And these also receive nothing. This is not the fault of the promise but of those who do not act with it in a common-sense, business-like manner. See, God has given no pledge which he will not redeem and encouraged no hope which he will not fulfill. And this is what Spurgeon says. He gets personally says, I have been cast into waters to swim in. This is the prince of preachers. We read his devotionals. People marvel in his sermons and read his books in awe. And he gets a little personal here in this message, and he says... I've been cast into waters to swim in, which but for God's upholding hand would have proved waters to drown in. I've endured tribulation from many flails. Sharp bodily pain succeeded mental depression. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, saying, I had physical calamities, I had mental depression. He was so depressed sometimes, he couldn't get out of bed. And his deacons would wonder, is he going to be able to get out of bed to preach Sunday? And God would give him enough grace to preach, and they'd go back to bed. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the one that's got all the books, the one they said had a vocabulary that rivaled Shakespeare's. He says, I felt that. I've been there. And this was accompanied, he said, both by bereavement and affliction in the person of one dear as life. He went through all... You see he put his pants on one leg at a time, just like you. He bled, just like you. He, he cried, just like you. He felt pain, just like you. He experienced loss, just like you. The stuff we're talking is not about long ago and far away. It's not stuff for people out there in some kind of abstract theological sense. This is practical, man. This is real. This is where you live, where I live. You know what Spurgeon ends up by saying? He says, my brethren, God is good. He will not forsake you. He will bear you through. There is a promise prepared for your present emergencies. And if you will believe and plead it at the mercy seat through Jesus Christ, you shall see the hand of the Lord stretched out to help you. Everything else will fail, but his word never will. And I'd like to add, and you can take that to the bank. Let's pray.